0: Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan.
1: Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 30 through 32 through 44. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord.
2: As we First pressed Pilgrims walked in Spain on the road to Santiago last week, we held in our hearts the Honduran pilgrims who walk on the road to the U.S. border at the same time. Our spiritual pilgrimage was so drastically different in point and practice. Privileged and safe was ours. We were walking to a holy place, hoping to be rejuvenated spiritually and, and physically and personally But their practical pilgrimage is arduous and uncertain. They are fleeing persecution. They are hoping to find a safe place that provides freedom from harm. And so we very mindfully walked with them in our hearts. As we were pondering and plotting and praying, word came to us of the tragedy at the Tree of Life Synagogue. That neighborhood, that family of faith, began another kind of pilgrimage, a journey through grief and tragedy and transformation. Judah Halevi, one of the great Hebrew poets, wrote words around 1100 A.D. that flooded back to me. He allows us to ponder not just the hate, not the evil, not the horror alone, but to focus our attention on their lives, those 12 souls taken from life to death in Pittsburgh last week. Rather than move immediately to help and recover, first we must grieve those souls and give them our time. His poem goes like this. "'Tis a fearful thing to love what death can touch, "'a fearful thing, "'to hope, to love, to dream, to be, "'to be and oh to lose, "'a thing for fools, this, "'and a holy thing, a holy thing, to love. "'For your life has lived in me, "'your laugh once lifted me, "'and your word was gift to me. "'To remember this brings painful joy, "'Tis a human thing, love, a holy thing, to love what death has touched. Our hearts are broken with theirs, and in our heartbreak, God calls us not only to comfort one another, but to love all the more, to live and love with and in one another, united in our protest and our prayers, remembering that if we do not give in to fear, that if we do not give in to despair, hate can never win, love can never die, and we will never be silent. Our second scripture reading for today comes from Isaiah chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. Hear now the word of God. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone, in some way, is in need of mending. That became clear to us as we walked along the road on that ancient route for pilgrims from all over the world. Walking towards the cathedral of St. James in Santiago, where legend holds are the remains of James the Apostle, revealed that, revealed our own need to be mended. Since the 12th century, millions of pilgrims have traversed the pastoral, undulating countryside on foot to meet some need. About 300,000 people walk it each year, yet only a third do it for religious reasons, Walking one of the oldest Christian pilgrimage routes in the world has long been considered a Catholic thing to do, and we aren't that. Yet last Monday, 20 of us were among the many tired travelers who arrived into the city in time for the daily pilgrim's mass at noon. Where did we need mending? The Camino is an inner journey as much as an outer one, and on that path one reflects Mile after mile, pushing the limits of body, mind, and spirit, pilgrims listen for the voice of God and for the voice within. Travelers feel the presence of pilgrims' past, saints and sinners over the course of history who have been there, whose spirits linger on to cheer others. Pilgrims lean on the strength of those present now. It is a place of bonding. Everyone, in some way, is in need of mending. When a pilgrim walking with someone, you share the deepest parts of your life. Along the road, pilgrims peel back slowly the layers to reveal true complexity and humanity. And uncovering another person and discovering the beauty and depth of their life story reinforces the common connections that we all share. Life and death, love and loss, vulnerability and hope, hurt and resilience— One and all are on a pilgrimage from birth to death. Gwendolyn Brooks put it this way in her poem, Infirm. Everybody here is infirm. Everybody here is infirm. Oh, mend me, mend me, Lord. Today I say to them, say to them, say to them, Lord, look, I am beautiful, Beautiful with my wing that is wounded, my eye that is bonded, my ear not funded, or my walk all a bobble. I'm enough to be beautiful. You are beautiful too. The path is the destination, the place of mending. Mending that comes over time, in step with the divine, in sync with others. Pilgrims from other countries and states and churches shared their stories of beautiful infirmity and loss, losing a wife to cancer, closeness with a sibling, an adult child in an accident. One pilgrim lost a spouse to dementia, another control of a private addiction, another the sense of direction that comes with impending retirement. One had lost faith in faith altogether. My journey was powered by multiple losses, losing my mother in April, a beloved friendship in May, and a colleague in October, all while coping with the inherent stress and strain of being a wife and a mom and a pastor and a daughter and a colleague. All this loss, everyone in some way is in need of mending Grief propels many people on a pilgrimage, and so stories of loss pave the way before us. And as our feet fell and our barriers dropped, we found new friends and new life. Ram Dass wrote that when all is said and done, we are all just walking each other home. We did exactly that all the way back here to our church home, deeply meaningful and life-giving to each of us, knowing that everyone in some way is in need of mending, including our church. On the way, truth and wisdom emerged. Mending, in part, happens when we have time to reflect, time to accept that grief is always with us. In the good times, we forget how integral loss is to who we are. No matter where we plot along in life, our steps are always powered along, in part, by loss. Grief is always our companion, but not one to define us, but to guide us. Grief can be our guide. This was my fourth pilgrimage on the Camino. Through them and through life, in the stories I watch on film or read in books, every story I encounter is one in which someone is in need of mending. We're all on a journey. We all bear loss. We all need mending in some places. That's what it is to be saints in the making. We face the presence of loss in our lives as courageously as we can. We find our way, though, only when we accept that grief is a companion to guide us, not to define us. John's story is beloved and familiar. Mary and Martha were siblings of Lazarus. They were family. Like any family, these siblings are each unique, and as in every family, there is dysfunction and expectation, roles people play and rules people follow. They have invited... Jesus into their inner circle, and so he is like family to them. But now the family is in crisis, for Lazarus is sick and he needs Jesus. Jesus doesn't follow the family rule, he has other work to do. They do not understand why he chooses to drag his feet. They do understand that Jesus has not come in time, and it's tragic. He comes four days late long enough that Lazarus' spirit has left his body. According to the tradition at the four-day mark, Lazarus is really dead. (laughs) They are devastated. They are broken. They have no hope. They are as bound up in this new identity of loss as their brother Lazarus is in the tomb. Four days of death, long enough for the shock to wear off, Now is the time to feel full-on the profound sadness that comes with that loss sinking in. But they aren't there. They are stuck in hurt and anger, still on the surface of grief. Neither woman can move beyond holding on to the blame they need to lay on Jesus. It's your fault. If you had come, he would not be dead. When Jesus finally shows up, rather than coming together as a family and grieving together, sharing tears and sadness with their friend who is like a brother, a man still assessing what has happened, they blame him, and that anger separates them from him. That blame isolates him, and he begins to weep. He suffers. He is disturbed. He feels that profound loss of his friend Lazarus, yet he weeps even more deeply, more in those moments for the separation from his friends. Mary and Martha. They are not together in those moments of grief in which they need to help mend one another badly, those, oh, so painful (coughs) moments. Mary and Martha did the most natural thing. They did the most human thing. That is so often where we go in the face of loss. We go to answer the why question. We search for explanations. Agitated in the face of loss and unsettled, instead of feeling the feelings, we cope with our need for reasons. We blame others. We blame ourselves. We carry whatever guilt and shame might be there that we didn't do something to prevent loss from happening. We blame God. For them, their anger at Jesus gets in the way. They they cannot remember the stories he has told them along the way about what was going to happen. They have no context now for Lazarus' death. Those memories might have given them comfort and hope and some mending in those four days of death, but their grief doesn't guide them. It defines them. It, It blinds them. Jan Richardson, in her excellent book, The Cure for Sorrow, writes that One of grief's most insidious aspects lies in how isolating it can become. This aspect of grief calls for intentionality from us, that we will resist grief's capacity to cut us off from those around us at the time we most need them most. We know the story of the raising of Lazarus as a story of new life and resurrection, and and it is But it is also a story about death and losing and grieving and separation. Jesus stops. He grieves. He understands. And only then does he move towards the tomb and fully into a future where he can do the one thing he does the best. Bring new life. The sisters weeping are engulfed in their anger, their lost expectation, and they lose that connection with Jesus when they most need it, the one who can only truly mend them because they are wrapped up in human things. What if they instead had focused on divine things? If they just felt the pain and left aside the blame just for a while, how might this pivotal moment with Jesus have looked differently? Friends, we are a church made up of humans. At this point in our congregation's history, we are deeply in need of new life. We've lost our pastor. We've learned things that were going on that we didn't know about, and input we feel we deserve to give was not sought. People on the inside, staff and elders and pastors, lost the ability to speak openly, transparently, about issues which by nature had to be kept confidential, lost the space and time to tell their own story as it was all unfolding. We've lost a kind of clarity, and we've gained a cognitive dissonance as all of us hold competing ideas in tension with one another about how leaders can be people of God and generously faithful and loving, but also be people who let us down. Some of us have lost the sense of who the church is. Some have lost faith in the session, or in the presbytery, or in the pastoral staff. Maybe some of you have lost trust in me. Loss comes to each of us in a particular way in our lives, but also in this situation for sure, and also as a congregation in a collective way. We now grieve, and we are in need of mending. You are an extraordinary congregation. That has not changed. You do many things well. Let me go out on a limb and say that grief is not one of them. (laughs) I don't do it well myself. I've been here 20 years, and so when Dr. Fair announced her departure, I made a rather flippant statement to a new member, pastors come and go. Though I did not intend to offend, I was immediately met with anger that I was so nonchalant, so forgetful of the deep connections and care that you give and share with your pastors. Apologizing, I reflected on why I said that, and the reason was something that she was just too new to understand. Every two years, since 2001, we say goodbye to three beloved resident ministers on one Sunday in August... And on the very next Sunday, we welcome three new ones. Being a teaching church that has welcomed 24 new pastors in 17 years, each of them truly remarkable and as open to our love as we are open to their care, it is very true in a literal way that pastors here come and go. A part of our identity is that senior pastors have gone too quickly as well. Our head pastor's negotiated departure was just after seven years. Our interim pastor, Larry Ferris, was appropriately here, a brief two years. And before him, our head pastor, Doug, was but a five year tenure. Before we move to blame, just stop there. Have we ever really grieved any of those departures? We're human. Some of us have blamed others for those losses. we blamed ourselves, to be sure, at times, I have. And because we are the leaders and the best, we found the silver linings, focused on the positive and pivoted quickly to celebrate the gains that have come, despite our losing. What if we, like Jesus, we allow ourselves to be deeply moved? What if we just began to weep? And what if the sadness we feel, no matter what has generated it, did not isolate us, but brought us together as the family we are meant to be in Christ? Beyond a desire to stop and live in this moment of loss, we can know this. Jesus has shown up. Jesus is going to open the tomb. Our future will be opened. We will be unbound from our past and freed for a future that puts this church in a place you can't even imagine. God's plans for us are great. They are for new life. Changed by loss, but also unbounded from it. But imagine how much more joy and wonder than if we just pause now as a family To grieve, to weep, to grieve the loss of the saints, Scott Westerman and Bob Fletcher, Jim Wheaton and Judy Slade, Dolly Millard and Ben Van Tyle, Gene Dickinson, just to name a few. To grieve the loss of our staff members, Jim and Renee and Tom and Debbie and Fairfax who have left us to grieve the loss of our closeness on session or in the pew or in a committee or at the coffee hour because we don't see things the same way. Jesus wept. Can't we? Anne Lamott wrote, Tears will bathe, baptize, and hydrate you and the seeds beneath the surface of the ground on which you walk. Friends, we are on a pilgrimage together through loss to new life. And at this crossing, let's just say we are all in some way in need of mending. And in this place, if we feel this grief together, not in isolation from one another, perhaps it will indeed not define us, but it will faithfully, faithfully guide us. For when all is said and done, we are all just walking each other home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: You, are holy Lord of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Lord. Sent to be our Savior, he took on our flesh and lived among us. His words are true. His touch brings healing. And to all who follow him, he gives abundant life. So Lord of comfort and compassion, receive the prayers of all who suffer this day. The pain of loss is close to many of us in these moments. So bring peace deep into our hearts in the way that only you can infect us with love. Redeem all our memories that they might be holy unto you. Make of our grief gratitude. Gracious God, pour out your spirit upon these gifts, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Through your Holy Spirit, may we be united in prayer and praise with all those saints who have gone before us. O God, generations, rise and pass away before you. You are the strength of all who labor. You are the inspiration for those upon a journey. You are the blessing for all who are dead. We rejoice in this moment in the company of all your saints. We remember all who have lived in faith and who have peacefully died, and especially we remember those most dear to us, those whose names rest in you, whose names we remember now in the congregation rises in body or in spirit to give thanks together as one people. Joan, Ellen, Allen. Sin Ahain, uh, Rudy Ansbacher, Daniel Errington, Pat Babcock, Virginia Teal, Roy Barbarita, Marian Barrett, Rod Barrett, Norman Beecham,
2: Dorothy I. Bell, Grant Bixler, Joanne Blanche, Ward Balsma, Warren Bovenkirk, Carolyn May Bowman, Mary Brandon, Ken Broad, Ann Dinsmore Browder, Bill Browning.
0: Timothy John Boboltz, Beverly Buchanan, Sally Carpenter, Judith Chambers, Chalmers, Joan Dozema Clarahan, David Clyde, Lois Conboy, David Kraus, Betty Damron, Earl R. Bob Dietrich.
2: Lois Decker. Mariel Delgado Diaz, Lois Jean Dickinson, Charles Donahay, Rebecca Donnelly, Jean Dotson, Jamie Dunar, Gary Eichbrecht, Betty S. Elkins, Jean Short Elling,
0: Lois Intrichen, Stuart Fairweather, Marion Fink, Robert W. Fletcher, Rosalind Ford, Thomas Ford, Patricia Pat Firstenow, Frank Fuller, Mark Gaffney Sr., Wendy Garner.
2: Diane Elaine Glinka, Andrew Francis Gordon, Dean Haley, Joan Haley, Donald Holler, Joe Herman, Arthur Norris Hicks, D. Hildebrandt, Catherine Kate Hodgson, James S. Jim Hudson Jr.,
0: Kiki Araney, Joseph Stephen Jamarino, Beth Johnson, Kathy Johnson, Richard Kirstenbaum, Donald Knapp, Gary Colander, Doug Kruger, Gladys Lager, Lars Landy,
2: Dale Alvin Larson, Shirley Lewis, William Bill Lighthall, Catherine Lindley, John Mack, Frank Maple, Randall McClure, Judith McComer, Francis Mezel,
0: Dolores Dolly Millard, Cecilia Tweet Miller, Dorothy McKee Midas, Cruz Moss, Matt Merzen, Alice Peruski, Gerald Prescott, Terry Redding, James W. Reese, Leon Ranke,
2: Mary Helen Schafsma, Shirley May Scott, John Shoemate, Patricia Sims, Judy Slade, John Smaltz, Collier Campbell Smith, Thomas E. Snyder, Kate Spade, Elizabeth Spade, Richard Spade.
0: Barbara Springborn, Martha Stiles, Helen Street, Donald W. Strew, Phil Taft, Shelley Taylor, Joseph Thoman, John Tribble, Mary Upham, Jean Urquhart,
2: Benjamin Van Tyle, Deb Leshen-Vasso, Walter Jacob Wepper, Jr., Ann Weinhagen, W. Scott Westerman, Jim Wheaton, Mary Wilson, Shirley Winklepleck, Tabitha Wisecup, George Walters, Theophil Ted Weibrecht, and we now pray the prayer of commemoration together, and so we say, Eternal Light, Immortal Love, we bless your name for these and all your servants who have kept the faith and finished the race. Help us abide in their fellowship and follow their example of faithfulness, that with them we may share the feast that Christ has prepared. This we pray in the name of our risen Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father,
0: who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.
2: Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
0: Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for
2: another Sermon from First Press.